Here's what Mark Dever said, and it's so powerful. Listen closely. I pray the Holy Spirit will stir, stir through His words. Uninvolved church members confuse both real members and non-Christians about what it means to be a Christian. And active members do the voluntary inactive members no service when they allow them to remain members of the church. For membership is the church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. Again, this must be clearly understood. Membership in a church is that church's corporate testimony to the individual member's salvation. Yet how can a congregation honestly testify that someone invisible to it is faithfully running the race, end quote. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you and just reminded of how desperate we are for you. We are living in perilous days on every level. Some in this room today are hurting beyond measure. Lord, we just ask that you would As we bow before you, would you bow your ear down to us? So as we empty ourselves of ourselves, as we seek your glory and your fame, Lord, we know from your word that When you are high and lifted up, you draw men unto yourself. So God, I just ask, would you do something in this room today that would undoubtedly be a work of you? Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak even right now? Would you... Prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the Word of God gladly. I pray that our minds and our hearts and our souls will be open right now just to say, Word of God, would you speak? God, I pray you'd move me out of the way so that all that we would see is you. And so right now we renounce the schemes of the enemy, whatever lies and deception that he might be sowing into our lives today, God, we just renounce those and we just speak the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, that at the name of King Jesus, what a beautiful thought that is, Lord. That at the name of King Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And so we worship You. Do the work only You can do in this time. And we pray this in that name that's above every name. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ do we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, looking at verses 13 through 17 today. And as you're turning there, the the title you'll see there in your notes is simply two words. And the title is Total Surrender. Total Surrender. It's easy in our culture today to claim we are surrendered, but the real question is, are we totally surrendered to Christ? It's easy in the Western American culture to profess a belief that is surrendered when it's not. And I believe, based on what I see and study in Scripture and watching our landscape of what's going on in our country and around the world, that we are primed for the return of Christ. Matter of fact, I believe that we are primed for some intense persecution. And what happens when you're persecuted is you fall one way or the other. It's hard to stay on the fence when you're persecuted. And I believe we are on the precipice in the United States of America, which as you know is right now the divided states of America, and it's one nation under self, that I believe we are primed and ready for intense persecution for true believers. Now for true believers, we have nothing to fear, amen? Uh, We know that our God is for us, and we know the battle belongs to Him. But we want to make sure that we're walking in truth, that we're not living in deception. And I pray as we mind the Scriptures today that we will see very clearly. I pray that you and I leave here today without any doubt, any doubt at all of what needs to happen next in our lives. So here in James chapter 4, verse 13, as we continue our verse-by-verse study, Here's what James writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, here's the key as he really drills down. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Make sure you underline that. Then he asks a question. He says, what is your life? Well, here's the explanation. For you are a mist that appears for a little while or a little time and then vanishes. Poof. Now look at verse 15, 16, and 17. Instead, you ought to say. So here's the instruction. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, so here's the reality, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Lastly, verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for her, it is sin. 
James, as he typically does, does not mince words, does he? It's pretty easy to read this, and you don't need a PhD. I know for some that's a public high school diploma. You don't need a PhD to figure this out. This is fairly simple, straightforward text from God's Word of what it looks like to live either dependently on God or independently from God. This is very clear text of what it looks like to live dependently on God or independently of God. Now, you've got to remember in the verses that we studied last week there, look in your Bible, verse 11 and 12, to keep this in context. He, he said in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer, there's that word again, of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save, rescue, and to destroy, exterminate. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I say, what's I have to do with these verses we're reading today? Well, everything. It's so easy to point out everyone else's faults, but it's so difficult to truly see with a clarion call, with resounding clarity in that thought process of who am I really when I look in the mirror? James comes swinging out of the gate right here again in verse 13, and he says, look, I want to show you an example of how you're living that's not of the Lord. Because when we live not of the Lord, we can be that condemner, that judge he's talking about there. We can profess to know Jesus. We can raise the hand, say the prayer, do the cartwheel, sign the card, get dunked, jump out of the balcony, do whatever they ask you to do, and still be eternally lost. We've got to get to the point in our lives in America that a true rescuing conversion is one where our life is no longer our own. That's why we ask the question, are we totally surrendered? I get this. I get this. It's a struggle. Amen. I pursue total surrender, but do I as a pastor always achieve it? Just ask my family and the answer would be a resounding no. I struggle in this journey, but the key is, is that we're stumbling, we're failing forward. That's part of sanctification. Now, failing forward is not an excuse to keep failing. If I'm living in sin, and I say I repent, but I really don't, have I really repented? Let me give you an illustration. So let's say that every Sunday after church, I kick you in the shins with a smile, with my hand raised, shouting Jesus. And I kick you in the shins, and so I kick you in the shin, and I go, bam, just like that microphone popped. I kick you in the shin, and, and I say, I'm really sorry, forgive me. And you go, okay, that's, that's you know, it's okay. You, you got one, you're good. But then next Sunday, I kick you again. And I keep kicking you every Sunday. At some point, you're going to go, do you really believe and internalize and act upon what you say, John? I'm sorry, forgive me, I repent. 
James is saying that in his own words, that we got to be these doers, just not sayers of the Word. Because remember, he tells us there in the early part of James, if we're just talking about the Word, just talking about Christ, but we're not living this life, if our actions are not backing up our speech, we are actually deceiving ourselves. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? He says here in verse 13, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So what's he talking about here? Well, you've got to put yourself on that Jewish culture context. So these folks were kind of like itinerant salesmen, if you will. And they would travel around and they would just say, hey, we're going to go over here and we're going to do this. And these are our plans. We're mapping this out. And by the way, let me pause here for a minute. Scripture is in no way saying you don't plan. Actually, I could take you to other parts of Scripture where we do need to plan. Here's the key. Are we planning as we're dependent on God, or are we planning as though we're independent from God? That is the whole crux of this matter. In everything I do and everything you do, we have to run it through this God filter going, God, what do you will? We call it the will filter. And you run everything through the will filter of God. He goes on to say here in verse 14, which I love this, yet you do not know, think about that, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? So he really begins to sharpen the pencil and to drill down deep, and he's probing. He gives an example, hey, this is what you're doing. You're going all around to these different cities and towns irregardless of what God wants you to do, you're just planning your life as though God doesn't own you. And he says this, and he goes, wait a minute, let me, you're not getting this, so hey, what is your life? Oh, you don't know. Let me explain it, he says. And here's what he says here. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Poof. It's like a shadow. You know, a shadow will come and go. Uh, a mist, it, it comes and goes. It's, you think about even the Old Testament, often it would talk about our lives of being that shadow. And so many times we look at Scripture and we see it so clearly here that it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. <laughs> the question is, in total surrender, you will be chasing the things of God. When you are totally surrendered, when I am totally surrendered, we will be chasing the things of God. They will be so ingrained in us. They will become the fabric of who we are. We will become people that just say, God, I want you. I want your glory. I want your praise. I understand, God. You say, I get it. I've been there. I've done this. I've chased and I've chased the things of this life. And just like Solomon said, the wisest and the richest, he said, vanity is vanity. All is vanity. You're trying to grasp the wind." Ever played that game, Grasping the Wind? It's a hard one to keep a scorecard on, isn't it? How do you do it? You don't. That's the point. And Solomon, the richest and the wisest, says, at the whole conclusion of the matter, he drilled it down to these things. Getting to the end there. In Ecclesiastes, he says, look, Fear God and obey Him. Those were His two admonitions. 
fear God, holy awe and reverence. Like, whoa, God, that's you. Uh, I mean, you're it. There's no other. It's, it's just you and your praise and your glory. And I just want to obey you all the days of my life. So many people, even professing believers in my travels, claim to know Jesus. And yet they're chasing the wind. Just chasing it. Like they can somehow get there and and grab it. And James says, your life is a vapor. If you live to be 100 years old, 100. Anyone 100 in the room today that wants to admit it? Yeah, if you live to be 100, that'd be pretty amazing, right? Right? But do we understand this church that 100 years on this temporal earth is absolutely nothing in the scope of eternity? Like nothing. It doesn't even register it's so tiny. And it doesn't matter about what's here as far as trying to attain heaven here because heaven's not here. Heaven's there. And we got to be looking towards heaven. we got to be looking towards God's glory. We have to get out of this rut, off this merry-go-round that's going nowhere. The American dream, just hear this clearly, the American dream is not a dream, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare that will keep you enslaved, in bondage. Why? Because here's what the American dream is all about, pleasing self. It's not about God's glory. It's not about what can we do to advance the gospel. It's all about what can I do to make my life comfortable. So many people get to the end of their lives not going, hey, I wish I had a bigger house, a nicer car, a bigger bank account, more 401k, two sailboats, three condos by the beach. That's not what they're saying on their deathbed. Man, the ones I've been around are like, man, why didn't I invest more into something that actually mattered? And it's so easy in this Western culture, to buy into the lie, to exchange the truth of God for the lie. See, James says, look, you're here, but you're gone. And as he says that, he said, we ought to say, if the Lord wills. But what does he mean by that? Well, think about this. So it's a determined purpose. The will of God is a determined purpose for your life. So when you and I seek the will of God, and we often say that, and again, that's a good thing, amen? We're going to make a decision, and you might say, hey, I'm pursuing the will of God. Praise God for that, amen? What you're saying is, you are seeking what He wants for you, not what you want for you. So we're as a family, you say, we're going to gather together, we're going to get on our knees, go in our prayer closet, we're going to seek the face of the Lord and say, Lord, will you reveal for me, for my family, for my ball team, my business, my church, will you reveal what you want for your praise, your glory? That's hard to lose at that, isn't it? It's a whole different ballgame, though, when we get in that closet and pray all about ourselves. It's a never-ending cul-de-sac of despair, discouragement, and discontentment. Key number one is so important. Write this down in your notes. Key number one. A person who is growing in Christ-likeness will hold their own plans loosely. Write that down. Key number one, a person 
who is growing, that's very intentional, I put that there, a person who is growing in Christ-likeness, being more like Christ, not being more like Mike, being more like Christ, is what will hold their own plans loosely. Remember last week I gave the illustration of what happens when you come to the Lord with your fists that are clenched? You're hanging on for dear life. You're hanging on just saying, God, bless this. This is what I want to do and I want to accomplish. And, and this is where we're going, God. And so get on my bus as I drive you around town. And God goes, this is not how this works. And we begin to hold it loosely. And see, when you hold it loosely, you're no longer enslaved to it. When you're, when you're grabbing onto it, you're seeking control and saying, I got to have this and I got to go here and I got to do this. And, and what happens is it begins to dominate our thinking. And we're just dominated by whatever X is. Got to have, got to have. But when we truly say, God, if you want me to have this, if you want me to have the job promotion, if you want me to move to that community, if you want me to drive that car, if you want me to go ahead and buy that condo or whatever's going on in your world today, if you want it, see, you're holding it loosely. You're saying, God, I want you to take center stage because I want you to have the most glory. Because when you and I believe that is to be true in our lives and we walk in that, A, we walk in freedom, but B, have you thought about this? We now begin to walk in such a way that when people see me and you and they see where our true hope is, they see where our true security is, they see where our true identity is. See, they're looking for the same thing. And now we go, well, there's the answer. His name's Jesus. But we've got to hold it loosely. Spurgeon, the prince of pe- preachers, Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said it like this about this text. I love this. Notice that these people, while they thought, while they thought everything was at their disposal, used everything for worldly objects. What did they say? Did they determine with each other, we will today or tomorrow do such and such a thing for the glory of God and for the extension of His kingdom? Oh no, there was not a word about God in it from beginning to end, end quote. Are you and I today, are we fully dependent on God? Or if we're honest, are we someone independent from God. First Peter says it like this in a supporting text under key number one. I want you to write this down. First Peter 2.9, it says this as Peter writes here, these potent words. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. Don't miss this. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, here we go, for his own possession. Don't miss this, church. For his own possession. So pause there for a moment. So here it is. For the true believer, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Like, like, don't miss this. When you give your life to Christ, when you've truly been rescued, when it's real, when it's true and not false, you are now the possession of the one who took your place, and his name's Jesus. And as you are now the possession for him, think about a possession in your life. If it's something that you love and you hold dear, what do you typically do with it? Well, you hold it dear, don't you? I mean, you hang on to it. 
Man, you won it. It's yours. This is Christ on steroids towards you, the true believer. You are His precious possession. So what happens in that equation? Here it is. That you may proclaim. Did you catch that? He possesses you, not just to possess you, He possesses you for a purpose. God's purpose is always over personal preference. Always. For the true believer. He owns you. He bought you with the most precious blood that's ever been shed. He purchased you in His entirety. And as He purchased you and bought you back, here's what happens. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who did what? Well, here it is. Who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is that not an amazing Scripture in the Word of God? Did we catch this, church? Are we tracking together here today? Do you see what happens for the true believer? As your life is no longer your own, you are now the possession of Christ. As you're that possession, He has done what? He's called you out of darkness. He's pulled you out of the miry clay. He took you from the grip of Satan to the power of God for a purpose that you through speech and action will proclaim how excellent He is. It's hard to pull that off when we're partially surrendered. Maybe another way to ask this is who truly owns you? You ever thought about that? Like who truly owns you today? I love what verse 16 goes on to say as he writes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, as it is, so there's the reality, that's what he's really saying, as it is, here's the reality, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Have you thought about this, this boasting, it's a different Greek word, but often we'll use the one called doxa, and that's where we get what we call the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What is it when we are giving glory? Well, that's what's happening here. We are boasting. We're boasting. Boasting can be good, by the way. We boast in the Lord. Amen? We give glory to the Lord. Anything good happening at this church, anything good is all because of the Lord. Amen? It's all because of Him and what He's doing. But what are they doing in this text, which we also struggle with at times ourselves? As it is, here's the reality, you glory in your arrogance. The word arrogance is very intriguing there because it means this, to be empty. Maybe you struggle with being arrogant. Maybe you know someone who's arrogant. The person that struggles with being arrogant is literally holding up a sign going, I'm empty. I mean, just think about this deductively. If I have to tell you about myself and how good I think I am, my hope, identity, and security is not in Jesus. That's what He does. Uh, He makes us worthy. He props us up. He's the one that is now our hope and stay. He's the one that when we give our lives to Him, we no longer have to deal with the wounds of the past because by His stripes, our wounds are healed. Amen? 
He's the one that satisfied that longing in your heart. He's the one that makes all things new. We are now a new creation. All things have passed away. Paul even said it like this, one thing I do, like he narrowed this puppy down. He said, one thing I do, just one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press forward the high call of Christ in my life. He didn't say, I forget as in, I never used as a launching pad of remembering where I was. That word forget means this, to be controlled by. I am no longer controlled, he said, by what was in the past. One thing I do, I'm controlled now by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two in your notes says it like this. Arrogantly controlling your schedule is not a calendar issue. It's a heart issue. And it's evil. Key number two, here it is. Arrogantly controlling your schedule is not a calendar issue. It's a heart issue. And it's evil. You say, where do you get that from? Well, we just read it. That's the beauty of Scripture. We don't have to get glamorous. We're not trying to entertain people. This is very simple. We look at the text. We exegete the text. We don't eisegete it. Eisegesis is where I put my interpretation on it. I, we exegete it. We go, this is what it says in the Hebrew Old Testament, New Testament, Greek. We see what it says in the truth, in the raw form that it is. And we go, this is what it looks like. This is what it says. Like it or not, don't shoot the messenger. Here's what it says. Now we make it applicable to go live a life for Christ. As we do this, we don't arrogantly control our schedules. But if we do, it's not a calendar issue. It's a heart issue. And we have something around our house that we say often, and it goes something like this. You do what you really want to do. And isn't that true? We all do what we really want to do. Amen. I mean, if we really want to do something, we will crawl over glass to go do it, right? But if we really don't want to do something, we don't do it. Think how that filters into your walk. I mean, do you really think the enemy goes, hey, let me get the door for you. I want to make this really simple for you so you grow in Christ. Is that what he does? No, of course not. He's like, look, there's three drops of rain outside Sunday morning. Uh Uh-oh, three drops. You better shut her down and pull up the covers, amen? I mean, it's just amazing the deceit. And we just buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. That there's not a total surrender, not a total commitment. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. You know, Paul even said it like this. He was recounting, I remember in Acts 22... 
He was recounting his conversion, and he got to the point in his life there where he just simply said this, what shall I do, Lord? That was his question. What an amazing question for someone who just got rescued. What shall I do? Like, imagine what would happen in your life and my life if that thought dominated our day. God, what do you want me to do? Am I going to go here or do this or fill in the blank if the Lord wills? Man, we take God and say, God, you're no longer going to be just an an added benefit to my life. You're going to become my life. I'm going to run everything through what you would will filter. Imagine what would happen today if we all started to do that. Well, he says here, it's this boasting of sin. What is sin? Well, it's missing God's mark. And just think about that. So God is holy. He's just. He's righteous. Without Jesus, we can never be those things. There is not a person alive that's good enough to be those things. It's all about what Christ did as He took your place. As He stood in your stead, as He stood in my stead, He took your place. He bore the wrath of God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we, that we, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's no greater Christmas gift you could ever give or receive, amen, than the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. The enemy, the enemy. I made a note here. I said the enemy of prideful, controlling arrogance is joyful submission. Think about that. The enemy of a prideful, controlling arrogance is joyful submission. That those two are enemies. They're at war. They're at war with each one of us day by day. And that's why we have to crucify the flesh daily, to die daily to self. I want you to write down a supporting verse under key number two, verses rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Listen to what Paul writes here to the church in Corinth. He says this, For consider your calling. So don't miss that. We all have a mission. If you're saved today and it's real, if you're truly rescued, you have a call upon your life. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Some of us can identify with that, amen? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God, I love this, but God. Whenever you see those two words in Scripture, antennas are up, underline, lipstick, highlight, whatever you got going in the purse. I mean, here's the deal, but God, because you're going to hear some glorious truth after this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Hmm. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Now, look at 29. Here's the why. So that no human being might boast, there's the word, might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? For God so loved the world that He gave. Did you notice that? He gave. It's because of God He gave Jesus. People say, who killed Jesus? The Romans. Wrong. 
the Jews wrong. You know who killed Jesus, don't you? God did. God gave His only Son. He gave, He sacrificed His only Son that whosoever believes, not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but an act of the will will not perish but have everlasting life. You say, how does that filter back into 1 Corinthians? Well, there it is, verse 30. And because of Him, you are in Christ. Think about that. Because of God. Because of this time of year that we celebrate around the Christmas tree, because of His sacrifice, we are in His Son, Jesus. We are just not on the outside. We are in Him. We are heirs to the throne. We are adopted sons and daughters of the great High King Himself. There is nothing greater. And because of Him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, all those big glorious words. So that, here's another why. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? There's just something amazing when you're around a person who's boasting in the Lord. It is just so refreshing, it's so uplifting. So encouraging. You hear a testimony in their life and a good work God is doing, and they say it's all about Jesus. But here's where it gets really amazing. Man, when they're walking through the valley, when their back's against the ropes, when they don't know where to turn, and they're still saying, He gives and He takes away. I'm going to bless His name. Oh, though He may slay me, yet I'm going to trust in Him. You hear people give those testimonies, and that inspires, that motivates, that encourages us to live for Jesus. And yet it's so easy, especially here in the West, just to play games, play church. Just too easy. I've said this before, but this virus, this coronavirus, which is real, it's real, I get it, it's real. I think it's been a great exposer of how lazy we really are, though, on some extremes. Because I don't think our greatest threat right now is the coronavirus, although it's real. And people are dying. It's real. I think the greatest virus we're facing right now is the virus of sin through apathy and difference and lukewarmness in the American church. And it's just too easy. I gave you this quote a few weeks ago, and it's one you're going to hear a lot in 2021 as our thought of being all in. All in in 21. Here's what Mark Dever said, and it's so powerful. Listen closely. I pray the Holy Spirit will stir, stir through His words. Uninvolved church members confuse both real members and non-Christians about what it means to be a Christian. And active members do the voluntary inactive members no service when they allow them to remain members of the church. For membership is the church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. Again, this must be clearly understood. Membership in a church is that church's corporate testimony to the individual member's salvation. 
Yet how can a congregation honestly testify that someone invisible to it is faithfully running the race, end quote? Isn't that good? I mean, it's so easy. The Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club. We'll be more devoted to those clubs than often the church across America. The most essential organization in the United States of America, hear me clearly, is the church of Jesus Christ. And it will only be as effective as the commitment of those who belong to it. Who owns your schedule? Who owns my schedule? But look at our last verse, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, for her, it is what church? It's sin. Let me read this again as we make our way on the back slope of the mountain. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for her, it is sin. I believe James chapter 4, verse 17 is one of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. Because so many times in a believer's life, the issue is not sinning through commission, we call it, but sinning through omission. Again, we say it all the time, I don't rob banks, don't sleep around, don't murder people with guns. Check, 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 we're good to go. But how many times, church, do I, do you, do we live in sin? We know the right thing to do, but for whatever reason, we simply choose to rebel and disobey. Knows. For whoever knows, it, this is not one of these knows like, hey, you know, I'm not really sure if God wants me to do this. Let me think about it and get back to you. I'll tweet you. I'll gram you. No, that's not what he's talking about here. This knows in the Greek means this, to understand and discern with clarity. So let me read that. So for whoever knows, understands, and discerns with clarity the right thing to do, not the wrong, but the right, and fails to do it, that phrase there in the Greek means this, to simply disobey. So willful disobedience. I know I should go talk to that neighbor. I know I should minister to that coworker. I know I should do whatever, fill in the blank, whatever God even right now in your world by the power of the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. If you know what God wants you to do and you're saying, God, I'm not going to do it, you're living in willful disobedience. And what happens to the child that typically does that? Well, there are great consequences. It's no different for adults. When we choose to willfully disobey God, there will always be a consequence to that disobedience. And here you see right through the Scripture, he's failing to do this. She's failing to do this. And remember in James 1.22, James says, be doers of the Word and just not what? Hearers only. Deceiving Who? 
yourselves. So when I choose to just hear, but by omission, I say, you know what, I'm not going to follow through on this and obey God. The person that's getting deceived is actually me. And we see deception all over our world today. People are living and walking in darkness. Professed believers are living and walking in darkness. Deception is running rampant. How will we know what's false if we first aren't in the book, the Bible, that's true? Those counterfeit guys in the Secret Service. Anybody in the Secret Service here? Nobody here? Any counterfeiters? Raise your hand. No, no counterfeiters. Okay, all right. Just curious. What do they do? Well, in order for them to be trained on a fake $100 bill, what do they first show them? Another fake one, right? No. They show them a real one, the truth. They go study this thing, every millimeter of it, so that within a split second, you see a fake one, you go, that's fake. Are we studying every millimeter of the truth of God's Word? Are we internalizing it so that when the enemy comes with his fiery darts and his lies and his schemes, we go, liar, liar, pants on fire? No, we just kind of, oh, I'm going to hang out and listen to a sermon, and then somehow try to detox from the world, go about my own life for the next six days, and then wonder why the next Sunday, well, my life's in shambles spiritually. It doesn't make any logical sense. When you've surrendered everything, you're in love. And you just run hard after that one, and His name is Jesus. Think about this. Key number three. Write it down. Key number three. Willfully disobeying God's directives is sinful rebellion and defiance. Write that down. Key number three, last key, here it is. Willfully disobeying God's directives is sinful rebellion and defiance. You know, the reality is that there's a stiff-necked toddler in all of us, amen? It's just something about the human flesh. No matter how old we are, there's just something about it. But we just want to rebel. We don't want to get under and submit under it's just part of the war, isn't it? And that's why we've got to kill it. We've got, we got to go to war against it. We've got to identify it, call it what it is, and just go to war against it. Otherwise, we're going to fail. You know, the thought is, as I lead into this last supporting text, and that is, you know, if God today, and maybe right now this is for someone, if God today is asking you to obey Him, and you're wondering why you're still at step A. Perhaps the reason is that He's asked you to obey at step A, and you're disobeying at step A, and He typically doesn't take us to step B until we obey at step A. Maybe another way to say this is, if we're not obeying in the small things of life, how will we ever obey in the big things of life? It's all a training ground. It's, 
We're being trained. We're being chastened. For those the Lord loves, He he literally chastens us for this life of sanctification, ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus. You say, well, what does that look like in Scripture? Well, here's the last supporting text. Write it down. It's from 1 Samuel, verse 15, and it's verses 13 through 23. What does rebellion look like might be the thought. Well, here's a great example. If you want to know what rebellion looks like, here it is, 1 Samuel 15, 13 through 23. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now pause there for a moment. So Saul has been commanded to go ahead and annihilate all the destruction, take care of the Amalekites, and just exterminate them and everything that's been the admonition to him, the commandment. And he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, verse 14. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Oops. Saul replies, here's what sin does. They, did you catch this? They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Did you catch this? He's living in sin. And what do we love to do when we sin? We don't want anyone to know we're sinning. Let's blame somebody else, right? This is Garden of Eden 101. Let's pass the buck. Spiritual hot potato. He's been caught. He didn't obey. And he goes, they did it. But now he goes even deeper here. Did you catch what he said here? He says this in verse 15. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So, okay, first, they did it. I'm not holding this. I'm going to pass the buck to them. Oh, by the way, God, we did it for you. And then we also obeyed on the back end. Just one lie turns into another, doesn't it? Then what does he say? Look at this in verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, exclamation point. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. That's an uh-oh moment, amen? Someone comes to you and says, this is what the Lord told me about you. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. Don't miss that. Every one of us has a mission. We're either obeying the mission or disobeying the mission. Here Saul was sent on a mission, and he said, God, I'm going to disobey you. Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed, exterminated. 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. This is going from bad to worse. He's caught in sin. He's blaming other people. He says he devoted to the Lord. Now he's saying he actually did what he didn't do. Do you see the delusion and the deceitfulness of sin? I've gone on the mission, he says, to which the Lord sent me. 
I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. 21. But the people, here he goes again, but the people took of the spoil. He's blaming everyone else. He's not looking in the mirror. He's not taking ownership. He's constantly looking who he could blame his sin on. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here it is, church, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Why? 23, for rebellion is of the sin of divination, it's witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and sin and idolatry. And here are the consequences of this disobedience. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Wow, oh, wow. You know what you learn about sin, and I've learned in my own life, is that it greatly impacts the people around you. When I've sinned, it's greatly harmed my family. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Because when we sin, just like back in Joshua chapter 7, and you saw what they did, when you saw when Achan did a very similar thing and took of the spoil and then lied about it, did you notice when you read that text in Joshua 7 that it wasn't just Achan who suffered? Because he brought it into the camp, the whole camp suffered. That's what sin does. It destroys. It destroys. And we need to be a people that don't play patty cake with sin. But we repent from it and we run from it. Because it will destroy. That's why the takeaway question is simply this. A probing question, but I pray that I and you will answer it honestly. Here it is. Takeaway question. Do I desire to daily crucify my flesh and pursue total obedience in Jesus. Write that down. Do I desire, there's got to be a desire there on each one of our parts. Do I desire to daily, just not on Sunday morning, not just when you were seven years old and you walked an aisle. I'm talking about daily crucifying the flesh, killing it, mortifying it. Do I daily desire to crucify it and pursue total obedience in Jesus? Not just to Him, but in Him. It's one thing to obey to Jesus. It's a whole different realm to obey in Jesus as you abide in the true vine, as you rest in Him. So many people are looking for rest, but they need to start resting in Jesus. The only place you'll find rest is in Christ. People are looking for peace. The only place you'll find peace is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Not overly complicated, but so challenging to our flesh. That's why the action step is one that I pray we'll all embrace. And it goes something like this. Write it down. 
I will daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, but daily seek to joyfully ask God how He desires to use my life for His glory. Write that down. I will daily seek to joyfully ask God how He desires to use my life for His glory. Imagine what would happen if we all did that here today. Every morning you get up and you say, hey, good morning, God. Thanks for another day. God, where are we going today? What journey are you taking me on today? Oh, you're taking me down to the workplace. Awesome. Okay, God, what do you want me to do down there? Oh, I know I got to do my work, but I mean, who do you want me to touch today? Who can I reach? Who can I encourage? Who can I be an ambassador of Christ to? Can you imagine if everyone across this room today, myself at the top of the list, embodied this and lived this every morning? Good morning, God. Oh, thank you for another day. What do you want to do with me today? If just this group right here began to do that every day, I believe this community would never be the same again. But it's so easy to hold on to our own plans tightly, isn't it? Last thought. As we go into 2021... What spiritual planning are you in the process doing for your life and your family? We'll plan vacations, softball tournaments, on and on we go. Good things in and of themselves. But we neglect, I neglect to do the most important planning there is. And that's, God, what do you want to do with my life in 2021? God, what do you want to do with my family in 2021? And my grandkids, and on and on we go. Can you imagine if today we start that as well? We're going to begin to plan for 2021. And we're going to seek the face of God. God, what do you want to do to use me for such a time as this to redeem the time? God, what do you want from me? Well, imagine what God would do in our midst. Because Amos 8.11 says it like this, and this is where we are in our country today. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What happened, church, to just saith the Lord? What happened to the Word of God? That we exalt the Word of God and we say, this is the Word, and we submit under it, and we sit under it, and we abide by it for its truth, and we worship in spirit and in truth. Oh, what happened to those days? I think martyred missionary Jim Elliott said it like this. Our young men are going into the professional fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. By the way, before I read the end of this, your mission field can actually be your professional field. Don't miss that. Not just going to Africa in a hut. I'm talking you're a missionary in the workplace. Elliot went on to say it like this, we don't need a call, we need a kick in the pants. We must begin thinking in terms of going out and stop our weeping because they won't come in. Who wants to step into an igloo? The tombs themselves are not colder than the churches. May God send us forth 
end quote. That was written decades ago before he gave his life on that missionary field. And God used that sacrifice, that burnt offering through his life and Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, to, to set a flame and a torch all across the globe. And he can do that with you today if, if you're just willing and say, have thine own way. Have thine own way. Father, we come before you today. God, I just pray a simple prayer. God, will you awaken the spiritual deaf today? God, will you awaken the spiritual blind? Oh God, I pray, would you awaken and bring to life the spiritual dead and do it now. God, I pray that we would be on mission for Your mission like never before. We know that Jesus is coming back. And we must work till Jesus comes. God, don't allow the enemy of self to distract us. Don't allow that when we don't get what we want, that we pitch a fit and throw a pity party and cause dissension and discord. God, I pray we will see how vital the gospel is in the lives of those around us. And so, God, we give you praise because Jesus paid it all. And all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but the royal, righteous blood of Jesus washed it white as snow. God, will you speak in this time? Do the work only you can do as we submit to you joyfully, as we give our schedules, our lives, all that we are over to you. Do something, God. Holy Spirit, move. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.